Good Sunday morning, Iowa. It's Dr. Rick Godding. Thank you very much for spending some time with me here today. And so I had had this idea of going through, because it just occurred to me during the show, either last week or a week before, just how strikingly different things are in a total knee replacement. And I'm going to go back 20 years. And you know, 20 years is a long time. (laughs) So this would have been 2001 or 2002, let's say, and I would have been finishing up my fellowship. So right in that area. So let's just say 2004, my first year in practice, kind of what were the standards then? How have knee replacements changed in that time frame? Because it's just, it's interesting when you look at it in detail. So I'm going to start with the knee replacements themselves. So much of the design has changed in subtle ways. And there are two main types of knee replacement, and that is a cruciate retaining, where you keep the posterior cruciate ligament, and a posterior stabilized, where you take the posterior cruciate ligament and you put the polyethylene portion of the knee replacement has Uh, like a knob in it that goes up into the femoral notch. So on the tibia, you have a post that goes in between the notch on the femur, and that gives it that stability that you lose by taking out the posterior cruciate ligament. Now, I've always been a uh, cruciate retaining guy, so I've always liked the posterior cruciate retaining designs, but those have changed. So the design that I use now, which is the Stryker Triathlon, it has what's called a constant center of rotation. And so wherever the knee is flexing, it has a constant ligamentous tension. And, and, you know, I don't want to go into the great big details on it, but let's just say that that that's a a significant change on the design aspect. And it's much more efficient. It has a, a much more natural feel to it than patients used to report. So there's been some significant improvements in the design, and and this the knee that I use has excellent you know twenty twenty year data with ninety five percent survival rate, meaning that only five percent of them fail in twenty years, which is way better. Heck, when I was in medical school doing my orthopedics rotation, we used to tell people, well, you can't have a knee replacement until you're sixty because they only last ten years, and you probably have it redone at seventy. I think that was a little pessimistic. But I would say that, you know, at this point, that's just out the door. I mean, 95% of them will last 20 years and, uh, you know, what, 80% of them will last 30 years. So it's a lifetime operation for most people. Now, so the knee replacement is on the femur side. That's the thigh bone. You have a cap on the end of that bone that takes place of the cartilage. And then on the tibia side, that's the shin bone. You have a metal cap on that side. And in between, you have what's called an ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene, which is basically a plastic. Well, one of the huge things that has happened is the processing of that plastic. It used to be sterilized. They sterilize it with irradiation, so it's gamma ray irradiation that they sterilize it with. Well, they used to do that in an oxygen environment, and then they found out if they did it in an argon gas environment, so they put the uh, implant into a container with argon gas, and then they radiate it with gamma rays. And they found out that it changed the amount of cross-linking of the polyethylene particles. So it ended up giving it better wear characteristics. That's been a huge part. And so the design and then the actual processing of the plastic have changed dramatically, and that has really, really improved the design of the implant itself. So 
now we'll talk about what we used to do preoperatively. So preoperatively before you had your knee replaced, you know, 20 years ago-ish, you know, you did the standard workup and there wasn't much else to it. Like you basically did your standard workup and then you showed up and you did your knee replacement. Now what we do, what I do is the Iovera treatment, which we do two weeks prior. And that's a freezing of the nerves on the front of the knee. And that dramatically reduces the amount of opioids, pain medication that you need postoperatively. I looked at 50 knees that I did before I had the Iovera and then 50 knees after I got the Iovera. And there was a 70% reduction in the amount of opioids that I was giving patients in the hospital. So that was really big. Now we wash the whole body with a special soap. We didn't used to do that. And we've found that that has been able to reduce the infection rate by you wash your entire body with a special soap for a week before. And then also put an antibiotic ointment in your nose for a week before. And so what we're doing is we're trying to get ahead of the game by reducing the overall amount of bacteria that are in your body. So those are three big changes. So we've had a big change in the components that we put in. And then those are three big changes, uh, well, two big changes before the surgery. And, of course, now with the robot, preoperatively, not only would you get your x-rays, but now you get your CT scan. The CAT scan is a 3D model of the bone that we build using multiple x-rays in the CT scanner. That's what a CT is. It's multiple x-rays, basically. So we construct a 3D model and upload that into the robot. So that's a major difference. So intraoperatively, it's just dramatically different. I mean, first of all, you know, I could spend a whole show talking about how different the robot is, but I'm just going to go back over the basics. So without the robot, what you do is you put a rod up inside the femur, and then you have a a cutting block at the end of that rod, and you cut to five degrees because that's basically average for people. And then on the tibia, you have a contraption that you measure straight down the middle of the ankle, and you cut 90 degrees to that in everybody because that's the average. And then you would balance out the ligaments afterwards. If it's a little tight on the inside, you release the ligaments on the inside. Maybe you put a little thicker plastic in there. So the old sort of gurus of knee replacement surgery said, this is a soft tissue operation because everybody gets the same bone cuts. So it's really not even a bony operation. Well, that has been turned on its head with the robot because now we check the knee at 90 degrees and then out straight, and we see how tight the ligaments are and how much, how many millimeters we'll have to cut on a particular angle in order to balance that out. Then we make the cuts and put it in, and then I never have to balance the ligaments anymore. And that has implications on how the knee functions and how much pain you have postoperatively because taking the ligaments off the bone causes pain. And 99% of the time I put the exact same plastic size in there, exactly what I planned on, whereas it would be all over the map before because you didn't know how much you had to put in because you were releasing ligaments here and releasing ligaments there. So that is a tremendous difference there. And I've learned so much in the last couple years using this robot that even if the robot's all broke and I had to go back to the old way of doing it, I would be a much, much better surgeon. I just understand everything better And I understand different techniques that I wouldn't do it the same way. Even if I went back to using not the robot, I would still use these techniques because I just find that it's a better technique. But luckily I have the robot, so I don't have to worry about that. Another huge, huge one, we always used to use a tourniquet. We put a tourniquet on there and you crank it up. And some surgeons still do, but I stopped that about five years ago. 
And what I found was that by not using the tourniquet during the operation, the patients have a lot less pain in their thigh afterwards and their legs a lot less swollen. I used to have patients and their leg be super swollen and they say, oh, my thigh hurts worse than my knee. I don't know, some of you who had your knees done a long time ago or who have had it done more recently by surgeons that still use a tourniquet might understand that sometimes the thigh hurts worse than the knee. What allowed us to stop using the tourniquet is the development of this wonderful medication called transemic acid. So transemic acid, when you give it, it stops the bleeding inside the knee without messing up and causing blood clots throughout the body. It's just a wonderful medication. And so we give the transemic acid, and then we keep the blood pressure a little bit lower, and then we have some new types of, uh, we used to have just a straight cautery device, and now we have some that are much more able to sort of blanket an area with electricity and kind of stop the bleeding. So there's no additional blood loss. Can't remember last time I transfused a patient. Now, we used to transfuse patients all the time. What would happen is you put the tourniquet on, everything seems fine. You, you put the knee in, you close it up, and then they start bleeding into the knee and they have a big hematoma in the knee and their hemoglobin is dropping. We used to actually have drains that we would put in the knee and for the first 24 hours, the blood that drained out, you would then transfuse that back into the person. And some of it you would save it. It's called a cell saver. And you would save the blood during the surgery and after the surgery and give it back to the person. We don't need to do that anymore. Never, ever transfuse. I mean, I, I won't say never. I just don't remember last time. I do 300 knees a year. I don't remember last time I transfused a patient. It probably happened, but I almost never. So that's been a tremendous advance, not using the tourniquet and being able to have all these different techniques for stopping the bleeding, which when you have the bleeding stopped before you close the incision, you don't expect much more bleeding. And that brings me to the use of drains. We used to put drains in during the surgery and keep them in for 24 hours. Don't do that anymore. So with uh, the other thing that's much more recent for me is going to what's called a press fit so there are press fit designs and cemented designs. Now, the cemented design is what I used all through my career and my training up until when I started using the Striker Triathlon because it has such an excellent survivor rate with being a press fit. So what that means is on the back of the component, there's a bunch of small sort of kind of like uh, metal balls and wires it's just on a microscopic level, but it allows the bone to grow actually into the prosthesis. And so the beautiful part of that is that what we expect from this, now they haven't been going in for 20 years, so we don't know, but the expectation is, see, when knees fail, most of the time they're going to fail at the cement bone interface. They never really, they never really fail so much at the, the interface of the cement and the metal. So what happens is, over time, the plastic starts to wear down and tiny, tiny little particles, I mean, you need an electron microscope to see them, of the plastic get in between the bone and the cement and they cause an inflammatory reaction and then that ends up loosening. So the idea is, now that it's press fit, first of all, you don't have to cement during the operation, so that makes the operation faster. You also don't have some of the potential complications from the cement because the cement can get into the blood and can mess with your blood pressure and things. So by not having the cement, it streamlines the operation and it reduces the potential for complication. So don't use the cement, and eventually what we're thinking is that when the plastic wears out, you just be able to pop the plastic out and put a new plastic in, which, which you can do now even with a cemented knee down the line, 
but oftentimes the cement will fail. And, w- and the thought is that, that, that that won't happen since the bone will actually be grown into the component. And there's some good reasons to think that. So that's another big one within the operation. The uh, other one during the operation, so the things that worry us, right, with knee replacements are, the big ones are blood clots and infections. So what I told you was before the operation, now we use the uh, wash and the nostril antibiotic, and that reduces your bacterial load on your body. So we're starting with fewer bacteria around. And then during the operation, I use two different solutions. One of the solutions I use is called Irrecept, and it kills bacteria way better than... See, we used to just irrigate with the saline solution, and then for a few years, we put some iodine in that and maybe some antibiotics, but now we have this special solution. Uh, It's actually kind of the same stuff we wash our hands with before the operation, and that really blasts the bacteria. Then I'll rinse it with saline, and then I put another... A newer developed uh, fluid in there called uh, prontosin, and that stays in. We don't wash that out. We leave it in, and it's what's called a surfactant. And what that does, it breaks apart all the bacterial cell walls and doesn't allow them to attach to anything. Just going through it, I'm I'm still amazed at just how far the progress has come in in 20 years. And just within the last year and a half as well is the incisions the closure of the incision is totally different. We used to use staples. Now, these staples were metal staples, and they they hurt coming out in the office, and they always had these little tiny red circles around them, and I was always worried that they were going to become infected, but that's what we did. And then about six or seven, maybe eight years ago, I stopped doing that and started just sewing just right under the skin, and that worked pretty well. But As you're going through the layers, what you would do is when you close the quadriceps tendon and then you come up through the layers, you would just put a suture and then another suture and another suture called interrupted sutures. So kind of like what you would see on the skin, one, two, three, four, five. But now I use a method where it's a long barbed suture and we just spiral it through and so it closes it up watertight on multiple levels. So each level of the closure is watertight. On top of that, we have a tape and a glue that we put on the actual incision. So it used to be that it was not uncommon at all to have the incisions leak, even so much that you would have to change the dressing sometime before they left the hospital because there was so much leakage. I never, okay, when I say never, I mean I'm talking in the 95% range. I never have leaky incisions anymore. And the thing about a leaky incision is if the blood can come out, well, guess what? Bacteria can go in. And so since I've started using this, these two solutions and the tape, we've not had one infection. And that's it's really good. Very happy about that. I hate infections. And so, you know, it's just been another huge difference. And post-operatively, so after you finish, what you used to do is you would go to the room and you would have what's called a patient-controlled anesthesia. And that was a button, and it was hooked to a bag of morphine or Demerol or one of these really heavy ones. And you could press that button every two minutes. And so that I would have patients who would press that every two minutes for hours on end. They'd end up getting 10 milligrams of morphine an hour for hours on end. Sometimes they'd get 100, 200 milligrams of morphine in the first 24 hours after the incision or after the surgery. Now, because of the Iovera, 
and because of some of the other things, the blocks that the anesthesiologists are using, I didn't even go into that. So the anesthesiologist now will put a block in just above the knee, so they'll block the nerves. And then during the operation, I block the nerves behind the knee. And then you have the nerve block that we did in front of the knee before the surgery, two weeks before. So now most of my patients, I won't say 95, I would say 70% of my patients don't ever need any IV pain medicine in the hospital. No morphine, not one drop, not one milligram. I would say I used to routinely refill people's hydrocodone at the six-week office visit. And now I almost never even refill it at the one-week office visit. Most of the time by one week, they're using very little or none at all of the hydrocodone. And so that's a massive, especially, you know, understanding the, the opioid crisis that has happened and everything. That's a massive change in that. So we don't use the PCA. For blood thinning, we used to, back when I first came out, everybody got this medicine called Coumadin. You know, and the, and the blood thinning is a really interesting study in a lot of things in medicine. Some of them are reflected in current uh, events. Coumadin it was originally called Warfarin. Warfarin stood for Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation, W-A-R-F, Warfarin. And it was developed as a rat poison. And it is still widely used as a rat poison. So the rats will eat this stuff, and then they, they'll not be able to control their bleeding, and they die. So that was repurposed into human medicine sometime in the 50s or 60s, and now it's still lots of people use it if they're on heart valves or they've had a stroke or something like that. But we used to use that. So that's an interesting study in repurposing medications that had nothing to do with their original intent and finding that they work for something else. So now we have Coumadin, and then there's this medicine called Lovenox that's an injectable, and then there's several different classes of oral anticoagulants, and then there's aspirin. So there's five or six categories of blood thinner that you can use after a knee replacement. And I can tell you that orthopedic surgeons do not agree on it. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, the pulmonologist published a guideline that was in conflict with the orthopedic surgeons, and there was a big to-do about it. And so then they finally, the pulmonologists finally relented and allowed their guidelines to reflect what the surgeon's guidelines reflect. Now, personally, unless you're already on blood thinners, I just use aspirin postoperatively. But some people use routinely some of the other ones. And the problem with it is, is you're, you're hoping to not get a blood clot, but at the same time, you don't want a bunch of bleeding into the knee, which can develop into an infection. And you certainly don't want to cause a stroke or something like that. So that's another thing that's been very different. Everybody used to get Coumadin all the time, and people would stay in the hospital an extra day or two until their Coumadin normalized. You know, we used to have patients in the hospital three or four days for a knee replacement. Now they're out either the next day or the day after that. Some patients in some centers are even going home the day of. In my practice, I have a much older population of people getting their knees done, and um, I like to keep them minimum overnight. I could send somebody home the same day if they wanted to. I've done that, and, you know, they do fine, but it would only be a young, super healthy, super fit, very motivated patient who wanted it. So the others, we ambulate early. I mean, it used to be bed rest for 24 hours. I don't know why we ever did that, but because <laughs> we know we want to get it moving, but nevertheless, and now we, we're getting you up the day of surgery and twice the day after. So I just thought I would go through those things. It's just, it's 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 a 
it's a dramatically different operation, both from from what we're actually implanting to how we implant it to what we do before, what we do during, what we do after the operation, what we do to avoid infection, how we close the incision, how quickly we get you up moving. I just thought it would be an interesting show to just talk about how different that is than it was 20 years ago. And, and most of those changes actually have happened in the last five. So I hope you enjoyed that little deep dive into uh, knee replacement evolution. And uh, so we'll be back next week to have another chat. And uh, you have a blessed week, Iowa.